Welcome to Heme Talks, Conversations in Hematology Education, a podcast series brought to you by the American Society of Hematology. In Season 2 of Heme Talks, we present Impact 2, Impacting Multiple Myeloma in All Communities, supported by an independent educational grant from GlaxoSmithKline. As medical professionals, we need education on implementing strategies to diminish treatment barriers and foster shared decision-making when caring for patients with multiple myeloma from underrepresented racial and ethnic groups. This podcast will focus on knowledge of the impact of early detection and intervention for patients with multiple myeloma who come from underrepresented racial and ethnic groups. I'm your host, Dr. Azim Faruqi, a community medical oncologist with Ironwood Cancer and Research Centers in Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm joined by Dr. Sikandar Ilawadi, who is also a medical oncologist with the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. Thanks a lot, Dr. Farooq, for this opportunity. How do outcomes for African-American, Asian, Hispanic, and Native American patients who have multiple myeloma compare when they have early detection and intervention compared to when that does not happen? That is an extremely important question, and what we need to do is just take a step back for a few seconds and uh, think that now nearly a decade ago, the definition of multiple myeloma or active multiple myeloma was modified so that while historically we had to wait for organ damage to occur, which was uh, anemia, kidney dysfunction, bone disorders, uh, like fractures, uh, to start treatment, Almost around a decade ago now, the definition was modified and it was recommended by the International Myeloma Working Group that patients be treated sooner, even before body organ damage had happened. So you can imagine early detection and timely treatment is imperative. There is data, including some studies that we've done, um, our group has uh, published now almost about, I would say almost uh, eight or 10 years ago, where we looked at national SEER Medicare data and compare the symptoms at presentation, how they differed by race or ethnicity, and then differences in outcome. And what we were able to show was that racial ethnic minorities, especially African-Americans, data on whom is a bit more mature in national databases, they tend to be diagnosed later or present with more symptoms, more disease burden, and tend to have a later onset of treatment initiation. So what you can imagine is this causes more morbidity for the patient, more difficulty with putting them on clinical trials, difficulty with, for example, giving them appropriate treatment doses because the patient is sicker, and it takes much more burden on part of the patient, the caregivers, and the healthcare system um, altogether to get the patient feeling better, especially in today's day and age when we have excellent treatment options, which are supposed to work and provide good benefit and better quality of life, that we are unfortunately not able to get the patient to the desired outcome if the treatment and the diagnosis are not timely. And unfortunately, this has been seen to happen more frequently with racial ethnic minorities. Thank you so much, Dr. Alawadi. Now, you mentioned um, having a higher burden of disease at diagnosis and that, you know, detecting disease earlier is key. How does having higher disease burden at the time of diagnosis impact your treatment options? 
This is again an excellent question, and I just alluded to a couple of things in the, your previous question, but I, I think this gives me an opportunity to elaborate on this extremely important topic. So if the patient is presenting with a higher disease burden, they may have more organ dysfunction. We know myeloma, for example, causes anemia, uh, bone disease fractures, uh, bone pain, kidney dysfunction. If a patient is presenting with more disease, with more disease burden, then they may have more of an urgency to start treatment. We know that some of the medications which are cornerstones for myeloma treatment are specialty medications. Uh, for example, the immunomodulator agents, um, including, let's say, lenalidomide, which is used frequently for upfront treatment. Well, these patients may not be able to access the treatment fast enough to start. And what happens is that sometimes they're started on alternative regimens just in the effort to provide urgent treatment. We also note that patients from racial ethnic minorities tend to be not included in clinical trials. And you can imagine that clinical trial inclusion criteria, although are quite strict, are also sometimes a disadvantage for patients who come in with a lot of disease burden. Similarly, if the patient does not get treatment started timely or urgently or appropriate uh, setting where we can plan for the right treatment, you can imagine that the patient may not be able to have that much of an informed decision with the treatment initiation. And that shared decision making, uh, which is extremely important, tends to be sometimes missed. And in myeloma, also an important uh, treatment modality is, for example, the stem cell transplant. There is a lot of data out of CIBMTR registry, out of national databases, including CR Medicare, National Cancer Database, where published manuscripts, including from our group, have shown that patients from racial ethnic minorities tend to not get to a transplant in a timely manner or not get to a transplant at all. So if a patient is not treated timely and all their disease burdens, symptom burden, morbidity, not controlled, not planned for, a treatment modality like transplant, which is quite involved, uh, requires actually uh, shared decision-making, may be an opportunity missed for patients with racial ethnic minorities. Thank you, Dr. Alawadi. You've made it quite clear that earlier diagnosis and lower disease burden are definitely things that we should be targeting. So with that said, what are some barriers that contribute to delays in diagnosis and treatment initiation? That is an excellent question. When we talk about healthcare utilization, healthcare access, sometimes I think we tend to talk about it in terms of more as a commodity. But again, taking a step back, if we think about all the factors that go into our healthcare resource access and utilization, it is an interplay of so many factors, some of which are modifiable, others are not. Some are at the level of an individual, some are at the level of society, healthcare system, et cetera, et cetera. For example, and in fact, even before I go into some of these examples, I would really like to put a plug in for the companion uh, case-based activity that we have developed as part of this whole effort from ASH. Because we have actually delved deeper into these various factors that can contribute to delayed diagnosis, delayed access to appropriate treatment, and how that may lead to 
some unexpected or unwanted or uh, suboptimal outcomes. So when we talk about these other factors that can contribute to delays, for example, African-Americans and Hispanics are diagnosed at a much younger age than whites. A younger individual or a younger patient means that they are more likely still active in the labor force. Well, if they do not have appropriate healthcare insurance, they do not have a financial reserve, uh, if they have more family responsibilities, for example, children that go to school or other familial responsibilities, well, it is quite possible that the individual might delay their own care. Similarly, that same individual who is still an active uh, labor force participant is dependent on appropriate insurance. I mentioned in one of your prior questions that there are some specialty medications. Well, these specialty medications require the appropriate insurance coverage to be able to uh, be affordable by the patient for their treatment. So these are just one flavor of factors that could uh, delay in receiving the appropriate treatment. Sometimes even I would say the patient's healthcare team, the patient themselves, they may resort to a second best option where they don't have to uh, go through certain medications, but the outcomes may be inferior. Similarly, I would say there are many other socioeconomic realm factors like the need for transportation back and forth for injectable treatments, um, need for providing childcare for the family, uh, need for time off from work. How are these factors accounted for? It is extremely challenging to try to sort out each and every one of them for every single patient. But that is where it is extremely important to at least acknowledge that these disparities exist and that a lot of these factors do go into our uh, healthcare access and utilization. And how can we all come together to try and mitigate some of these shortcomings, whether they may be at the societal, at the systemic level, or issues that a particular individual patient or their caregiver are facing? In your practice, what are some strategies for preventing delays in diagnosis and treatment initiation that you guys have encountered? This is an extremely important question, Dr. Faruqi, because we can talk about all the shortcomings that we see or how they impact um, the patient's outcomes, but what can we actually do about it? So I'll give you some examples of strategies we've employed at Mayo Clinic in Florida where uh, we've seen some benefit now, of course, it's important to keep in mind that the strategies that are applicable to, let's say, my clinic may not be applicable to your clinic or to a different center. So we can keep that in mind. But at least some of the things we've done so far, we have tried to initiate a dialogue with our community partner, uh, hematologist, oncologists, much more in detail. And in myeloma, I would say this is a diagnosis, a disease state, which lends itself to that dialogue uh, more so as long as the two parties are interested in, and wanting to do it, because we have a transplant center, a cell therapy center in our institution. Community oncologists may not. And so they do refer patients to us. So there is this dialogue and a communication that is already happening. What we are just trying to do is having that dialogue at a sooner time point, especially for those cases that might be difficult, tricky, um, have a very high disease burden, very aggressive disease, et cetera, so that 
the community oncologist knows that they have an academic um, center partner helping them co-manage the patient. So we're having those dialogues sooner. We're also spreading awareness and education to patient support groups. For example, the multiple myeloma patient support group here in Jacksonville, I speak myself at that group at least two times a year. My colleagues, my other myeloma experts from our clinic speak uh, once or twice a year so that we are able to spread that awareness even at the patient level. We hold an annual patient and caregiver-focused free webinar for patients to attend. It's a hybrid event, so even uh, attendees from different states, from different countries have attended just to teach them about myeloma and what needs to be done timely. So these are all strategies that we have utilized. And and I can say that in some manner it's been successful because uh, one of the examples that comes to my mind from my clinic this was a patient who was much younger than expected age. She was in her early 30s. Uh, she'd been married uh, recently, was working, and was diagnosed with a very high disease burden of multiple myeloma. So the community oncologist immediately called and said, hey, this is very unusual. Do you want to quickly take a look at the case and see how you can help me co-manage this patient? Within 24 hours, I was able to see the patient we did confirm the diagnosis again of a high-risk myeloma, a very high disease burden. We were able to provide that patient options about fertility preservation. Being a stem cell transplant center, we had access to those resources. We got the patient plasmapheresis to bring down her uh, protein burden quickly, which the community oncologist did not have the ability to do. And then I was able to make a treatment plan, hand it back to the community partner, he um, started the patient on the treatment, and while the patient would have required a transplant three, four months down the road, I started seeing the patient every month to monitor their progress. They kept getting treatment routinely with their community oncology physician, and I was just co-managing. The moment the disease got controlled, the patient was able to get into transplant, and now she's had very well disease control in complete remission. So the communication came together very effectively and helped with co-management of this patient. I'll also give one other brief example. We have, for example, a, a patient navigator in our practice, and this is not myeloma-specific. This is more so for cancer, whose purpose is specifically to identify and match patients who are from racial ethnic minorities with appropriate clinical trial opportunities. There is uh, data in medical literature showing that when Information is presented to patients who are from racial ethnic minorities in a culturally sensitive and culturally appropriate manner, especially from an individual from their own racial ethnic background, they're more likely to accept that information or at least be more open to it. So these strategies have helped us so far. Thank you for that. And you know, as a community hematology oncologist myself, I really appreciate that sentiment that you know, we need better communication, better channels between community doctors and academic centers. And that's one of the things that we have been aiming to do in Arizona as well. So thank you so much for that. Um, lastly, what would you say are two or three key take-home messages for our listeners today? I think that's an important thing to keep in mind because while we talk about this podcast or, as I mentioned earlier, the companion case-based activities for more in-depth knowledge, what is something that a practitioner can apply to their practice today and hopefully see some difference? So I think the first and foremost is 
we need to acknowledge that there are disparities when it comes to diagnosis, treatment, evidence-based care uh, for myeloma across patients of different racial ethnic groups. While an individual clinician or their practice may say, well, not for me, does not exist for me, but there's a vast body of literature showing us that these disparities exist and they do affect our patients' outcomes. So we need to acknowledge. Number two, I think we need to account for these disparities in our day-to-day -day practice and develop some action plans which are applicable to our own practices. As you mentioned, Dr. Faruqi, you're in Arizona being a community hematologist, oncologist. Now, whatever works for me may not work for you in your practice, but what is it that you can do at your practice level? What is it that another one of our listeners can do at their practice level? What is it that one academic versus a different academic center can do at their level? Because their needs, their resources, and their uh, wants are going to be different. So we need to develop those action plans and utilize them so that we are able to minimize these disparities and get the right patient to the right treatment at the right time, every time. And then the last thing I keep in mind is that there is more and more literature emerging. So for example, there's a large study out of the VA system that is published. Uh, there is an analysis of clinical trial data that I've been able to run through the cooperative group system, where it seems that when we do mitigate some of these disparities, we provide what's called equal opportunity settings, for example, clinical trial institutions or the VA system, that the outcomes are much closer to what is expected or what we would imagine that our patients, even from different racial ethnic groups, should be experiencing. So if we do plan to do something about it, we can actually overcome a lot of these disparities and shortcomings in our uh, practice patterns, for example. Those are excellent take-home messages. Thank you so much again, Dr. Alawadi. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Ash Impact 2, a discussion about the impact of early detection and intervention for patients with multiple myeloma who come from underrepresented racial and ethnic backgrounds. We hope you found this discussion informative and engaging. Please tune into our podcast episodes for insightful discussions about multiple myeloma in underrepresented populations and their clinical risk, as well as various treatment considerations. You can find the full list of podcast episodes at hematology.org. Thank you again.